You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through a series on the life and work of Jesus. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. As I was reading through, I was going to do kind of an overview of how we get here uh, from what we've been talking about. We talked about the transfiguration. We talked about parables. We talked about healings. And I was kind of going to do this overview of these last days of Jesus up until the Garden of Gethsemane. And then I got to John chapter 17 and I said, why in the world did I leave this out of this study series? This is one of my favorite passages of Jesus. This is incredible. And so if you don't know John 17, tonight you're going to learn about it. I love this passage of Scripture because it's the entire chapter's red letter, if you have one of those red letter Bibles. The entire chapter's red letter. And so John 17 is Jesus, the Son of God, praying to the Father. And we get it all written out here. And it's absolutely incredible. Uh, So many things that we can learn from uh, John 17. Uh, So what happens is, you remember a couple of weeks ago when we were were teaching about healings and miracles, is in, in John 11, when Jesus was raising Lazarus from the dead, okay, he said, Father, I don't need to say this out loud. I don't need to pray this out loud, but I'm doing it so that they may hear me and they may know. And you and I know. If you've looked at the Gospels, if you've studied the Gospels, then you and I know that most of the time when Jesus went to pray, Jesus went alone. He would go by himself to pray wherever he was. He'd say, hey guys, Sermon on the Mount, did this whole big thing, fed 5,000 people, did this whole big thing. I got to go spend some time alone with the Father. That's what he did to rejuvenate, right? But in this particular prayer, he does this out loud in public, all right? So let's pray and let's look at John 17, whether on your phone, in your Bible. Uh, Follow along with us. We will have it up here in ESV. Uh, I'll be reading from the ESV translation And uh, let's pray before we look at the scripture. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Lord, we know, Lord, that you are with us this evening. Lord, we know that your word, Lord, is here to teach us, Lord, and that you, through your Holy Spirit, Lord, are constantly teaching us through your word. We thank you, Jesus. Even if we've, we've read this before, even if we've seen it before, Lord, we know that you have something that you want to show us. In some way, encourage us, uplift us, teach us. Train us, exhort us, Lord, through your word tonight. Lord, we love you, and we just ask that you would be glorified in your name. Amen. Let's read John 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth and have accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of this world. Yours yours they were, and you gave them to me. 
and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given to me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except for the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the first time that we get to see Jesus pray directly to the Father in his words. The first time that we actually get an audible prayer from Jesus is actually something that you guys know pretty well. It's called the Lord's Prayer, right? Now, honestly and truthfully, I think this is the Lord's Prayer. Why did we label the other thing the Lord's Prayer? You know, Jesus didn't label it the Lord's Prayer. That's something that's added to the Scripture. We call it the Lord's Prayer. The church calls it the Lord's Prayer. And if you grew up Catholic, or uh, you probably learned to recite it. Uh, a lot of uh, churches, a lot of schools, and those make uh, the kids memorize it, and they can recite it. But here's the reality. A lot of people can recite that prayer and have no idea what it says. But the truth of the matter is that prayer was for the disciples. It should be called the disciples' prayer, right? It was for those who followed Christ, teaching them how to pray. But this prayer, this prayer is different. This prayer is completely different. Let's take a quick look at the Lord's Prayer. I think most of you know it. Matthew chapter 6 or Luke chapter 11. Uh, Matthew chapter chapter 6, they are almost identical, so I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 6. I don't have this up on the screen, but if you want to follow along, Matthew 6 verse 7, it says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think 
they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We get these two incredible prayers. One intended for the disciples and the other intended for the disciples to hear, to encourage them. Not to teach them to pray, but to encourage them, to show us the character of Christ, to show us who He is and how much He loves us and how connected to the Father He is and and everything about that. And so we see with this Lord's Prayer, like I said, so many people have memorized this prayer and really have no idea its meaning. This prayer that Jesus gives us to, for us to be able to pray is such an incredible prayer. It's, but look at the very first thing that he said in the book of Matthew, because I think this is important when, we, when we're learning about prayer. And it says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they do not think that they will be heard. I mean, they think that they will be heard for their many words. Uh, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. He says, don't just say things over and over and over and over again, right? And so one of the common practices back in the Hebrews, uh, back in the, uh, the first century there, when Jesus was giving these things, uh, a lot of people when they pray, okay, we do this, right? Put your hands together, close your eyes, all of those types of things. That is not how the Jewish people prayed. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but uh, history tells us the Jewish people actually lifted their hands in the air, was one of the ways that they pray, and they look up to heaven. But here's one of the problems that they did. A lot of times they would stand on the street corner so that everybody could hear them pray. Everybody could hear them pray. And as I said earlier, most of the prayers that Jesus does, he actually slips away and prays privately, right? He slips away and prays privately. This prayer that we see in John 17, this prayer is different. He does it in front of his disciples because he's trying to show them something. Okay, Uh, so this is really important. Um, This is a model of prayer that we see in Matthew chapter 6, okay, the way that we should pray. Uh, We need to recognize when we are praying, guys, that we are entering into the throne room of God and we are talking to a holy God, right? That's important. I've seen so many situations in my life, and for a young Christian, I get it. I I would never judge, but when I hear somebody that's been walking for the Lord with the Lord for a long time, and and Jesus is my homie, Jesus is my dog. Okay, those are like early two thousands things for those of you guys who are a little uh, younger than that, right? But they they actually made a T-shirt that says Jesus is my homie. But here's the reality. In prayer, we need to recognize who he is. And that's why when Jesus is teaching the disciples to pray, he says, hallowed be thy name. Hey, you need to start and recognize that God is holy and you are in a holy place when you are talking to God. You have been given a privilege to talk to God, the Bible says. Hebrews 
Chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 tells us that we have been given that, that privilege because he is our great high priest to enter into that throne room in our time of need and receive his grace and his mercy. That's a privilege. The veil was torn when Jesus was on the cross that we may enter into the holy of holies and pray directly to the Father. But recognize, guys, when these guys went into the holy of holies, when the high priest did that every year, he went in with fear and trembling. And now, sometimes we go in and we're like, yeah, what's up? God, yeah, uh, I came and uh, here's my prayer list. Like it's some type of grocery list that we're sending off to ship to have delivered to our house, right? Isn't that how we pray sometimes? Isn't that how we pray? I'm telling you guys all this so that on Thursday, that prayer meeting is like, bam, it's awesome. Everybody comes with the right heart. Everybody comes with the right attitude in prayer. And it's not just our laundry list of a prayer request or whatever, but it is recognizing the holiness of God coming into his presence in fasting and in prayer and sitting at his feet and receiving from him. Man, what incredible things we can learn from the Lord if we really come to him like that if we really come to him like that, okay? I don't wanna go through the whole Lord's Prayer, but I think it's really interesting because I think if you have two passages of scripture where Jesus is praying out loud, one he's teaching them to pray and the other one he's teaching them who he is through prayer. And so I wanted to touch on the meaning of prayer and, and how we should be approaching the Father how we should be approaching Christ when we come into prayer. I think this is, is so important for us to understand this. Maybe you've been through a class or maybe you've been through a school session where somebody taught you to pray the ACTS model of prayer. Anyone ever heard of the ACTS model of prayer? Okay, adoration. I teach this to my students a lot in Bible class and uh, ACTS model of prayer because I think it's a really good model of prayer. We need to come into God in worship first. Hallowed be thy name. I need to recognize who I'm talking to. And then confession, recognizing who I am who he is, and then who I am. I come to him in confession. And then I thank him. I thank him that I can come to him, and I thank him for all of the blessings that I have in my life. And you know, that helps me sometimes. Because when I just come to the Lord with my laundry list, sometimes I get discouraged. You ever get discouraged in prayer? It's probably because you're not spending enough time thanking God for the amazing things in your life. You know, the book of Philippians tells us whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is of good repute, all of, all of those things, focus on that stuff. You're going to pray for a lot of things that it may take a long time before they come to pass, or maybe it's not God's will for them to come to pass, and that can be really discouraging. But if we're only laundry listing the Lord, we can get really discouraged in prayer, and a lot of people give up. Prayer's a really difficult discipline, amen? Uh, yeah, it's a very difficult discipline. I know God has blessed a lot of people to be prayer warriors. To be, uh, there's some incredible prayer warriors. My mom is one of them and I'm so thankful for it. But that's her ministry. That's what she does. She's just a prayer warrior. I can call her and give her a name and say, mom, pray for this person. 
And I know every morning she's there in the throne room of God praying for this person. She's a prayer warrior. That's what she does. It's her gifting. We all have different gifts. But God has called us all to come to him, to communicate with him, to pray with him. So this is incredibly important. God is so good to us that he's given this privilege of prayer. So let's talk about who he is by looking at his other prayer from John 17, okay? I read it to you, and man, that's almost enough, right? It's so incredible. Listen, God is so good to us. Let's talk about who he is. Let's talk about his character. John 17, return to John 17 with me. I love this beautiful passage of scripture. It's not about learning. It's about understanding the heart of Christ for his church, who he is and what he desires for us, for you. The first few verses here are to encourage the disciples. He's given the disciples the gospel message here. He's reminding them of his eternal glory. Jesus' eternal glory, verses one through five. Last week, we, we saw how Peter, James, and John got to glimpse the transfiguration, the glory of God, where he's like shining, his face is like glowing, his clothes turn white. And you guys know, if you know anything about the desert, those tunics would have been like dingy brown at least, probably washing them in river water at best as they walked around if they got washed. And come on, y'all, there were no washing machines and no tide, right? So, but that whole concept, it says that his clothes were like bleached. They were so white. It was such, a, such an incredible, like he was glowing. And can you imagine as Jesus is talking about his glory right here in the beginning, how Peter, James, and John felt? They had to be like, <laughs> we're not allowed to tell. We're not allowed to tell. Because Jesus told them, hey, guys as they were coming off that Mount of Transfiguration, don't tell anybody about what you just saw until after I ascend. I'm gonna die and I'm gonna go back up to heaven. Then you can tell everybody what you saw here, but don't tell anybody until then. So as Jesus is praying out loud, talking about his glory, I'm telling you, if I were one of the three of them, I would be ready to burst. Just being like, I know! Yes, his glory that he had with the Father beforehand. I saw it. I saw it. I saw his glory. You guys, it's incredible. You wouldn't even believe. You can't, it's like we, we were so humbled. We just fell on our feet. I would just probably spit it all out. I, I'm serious. Imagine these guys listening to Jesus pray like this and knowing what they had seen as he speaks of this glory and being returned to the glory that he had before the world was created. They got to see a glimpse of that. And they're like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. This is incredible. And so Jesus cries out to the Father and he says, give me this glory so that the disciples may have eternal life. And the best part is, then he defines eternal life. Then he de defines eternal life, uh, or at least tells us how to get it. Believe the Father and the Son who the Father sent. Eternal life. For God so loved the wor world that he sent his only begotten Son, right? That whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Believe. 
whosoever believeth in him. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Here you have the father and the son and he's telling them about eternal life and he's connecting this John 3, 16 passage that we've studied, that we looked at here, okay? And he's connecting that together in the disciples' brain and they're like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Remember this when he told us the story about Nicodemus and he told us these things that, that he was saying to Nicodemus and, and all of these types of things? Yeah. Believe in the Father. Believe in the Son. You'll have eternal life. Eternal life. That's what Jesus is telling them how to get. Believe in the Father and the Son who the Father sent. They believed even unto death, each one of them believed. Have you studied the 12 disciples? If you look at their lives, it's pretty incredible. Most of them died a martyr's death. John is the only one that died a natural death. He's the only one out of the 12. Judas betrayed Jesus and then committed suicide. The other 10 were either beheaded, um, Let's see, crucified, upside down, um, ripped apart by lions, various other things that happened to them, horrible things that happened to them, and none of them ever denied Christ. None of them. They believed. They knew. John died a natural death after being dipped in hot oil. Sounds pretty cool, right? No, it sounds horrifying. He was an older man dipped in hot oil. That's what the emperor Domitian did to torture those that would not bow down to his gigantic statue in the middle of Ephesus. You guys read the letter to the church in Ephesus. John lived in Ephesus, and John would walk by this. I think they said it was 28 foot tall. I got to go to Ephesus and go in the museum and see the head and the arm of the statue and stand next to it. The head is as big as me, only it's bigger. I mean, it's, it's enormous. 28 foot tall was this statue, and John would walk by it in the center court every day and refuse to bow down to it because Domitian declared himself to be God. So when you refuse to do that, you get dipped in oil. Some people it killed, but it wasn't necessarily intended to kill you. It was intended to, to burn the top layer of your skin off so that you would live a miserable, horrible life. That's what happened to John. Well, he died a natural death, you know. He was the one that was spared the martyrdom. We say that a lot. John was the only one that died a natural death. Yeah, but... Peter was crucified upside down because he did not consider it... it, it he didn't consider himself worthy to be considered to, to be crucified in the same way that his Lord was. James was beheaded. So many of them, so many horrible things would happen to them, but none of them denied Christ. None of them denied the resurrection. None of them denied what they saw, what they knew, and what they believed unto eternal life. They believed that Jesus was God in flesh, that he came, that he lived a perfect life, 
that he went to the cross to bear the weight of our sin, having none of his own, and he suffered the wrath of God for your sake. Then he was buried and three days later raised from the dead. Jesus defeated death so that you and I may have eternal life. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father in the fullness of his glory, return to the glory he once had before becoming a man. Jesus humbled himself to come and die for us. He gave up a portion of his glory. He had to veil it. He couldn't show it except for that moment on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he's talking about it to them now. I love this passage of Scripture in verse 20. Did you know Jesus prayed for you? He prayed for you. Not for his disciples. He did pray for his disciples, but that's not what this is about. He prayed for them. He prayed for you. He prayed for me. Verses 6 through 20. Jesus begins here in verse 6 by praying for his disciples. He says that he's not praying for the world Okay, the non-believers, but for those who believe, his disciples. He's praying that they may be one just as the Father and the Son are one. This is a prayer for unity for those that believe in Christ at this time. Jesus knew that the devil's number one trick is division amongst the believer. And if you study church history, you know that one of the things that the devil loves to do is try to divide the church, constantly trying to divide the church. If you look at the book of Revelation, the seven different churches, there's always little things inside of every church that the devil's trying to bring division inside of the church. And Jesus knew that this was the devil's number one trick, and he prayed this for the early church. We, by sin nature, we're egoist. You guys, sorry, I hate to tell you. It's the hardest thing for anybody to hear. You're totally self-centered. You're totally self Most of you have probably been told by your mother, your grandmother, or somebody that loves you dearly, you are not the center of the universe, right? I mean, come on. Or if you have, you said it. You definitely said it to your own kids, right? You're not the center. Everything does not revolve around you, young lady, Right? I'm pretty sure. I'm not talking to you, Nala. Nala's got this horrified look on her face back there. She's like, what? You're not supposed to tell those family secrets out in public, Dad. Um, Listen, we are very self-centered people. That's why the message of Christ to call us to die to ourselves is such a radical message. And we can only do that with the Spirit of God in us. Right? We're self-centered people. We are self-centered people. We're not the center of the universe. It's really important. Uh, Self-centered people, it's important that we recognize this because self-centered people cause division. Self-centered people cause division. So here we are. I don't like this orange carpet. You guys like the orange carpet? I think it's kind of 70s, ugly kind of orange carpet. You know, it's, I mean, it's ugly, right? So let's change the orange carpet, right? Let's change the orange carpet. What do you want? 
Oh, well, how about some vinyl flooring? I don't like vinyl flooring. That stuff, I'm, we're not sure. It's kind of new. It's not going to last. I've seen it peel off when people move stuff around. All right, well, let's go with some hardwood flooring. Well, I like the light stuff. Well, I like the really dark stuff. Can we get some of the stuff that kind of looks like barn wood? Well, then we're going to have to change the chairs. And you see all of a sudden, and you think it's funny. People have literally left churches because they were mad because the church wouldn't paint the color of the walls the color that they wanted. The devil knows we are self-centered people. You guys know if you're married, you have different opinions on things. And you have to die to yourself inside of marriage that the other person and, and uplift the other person. And if both parties are doing that, things work really well. Because you can come to an agreement in love together and that's what the church is supposed to do. The church is often compared to marriage in the scripture. Oh, and the devil loves to divide us, right? He loves to divide us in marriage. He loves to divide us as a body of believers. So Jesus prays for unity. And when we have Christ in us and we learn to live like this, living according to the word and to the spirit of God, we become other sinners, which brings unity and joy. Unity and joy. Verse 20, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, the disciples only, I love this, but also for those who will believe in me through their words, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I don't only ask for these, the disciples, but for those who will believe in me through their words. You are here today because of the words of the disciples. You realize that? It's the Gospels. It's what we've been studying. Matthew was a disciple of Jesus. He wrote down the words of Jesus. These are Matthew's words. These are John's words here that he wrote down these words in John 17. All of the other stuff that we've been studying through Matthew, Luke's Gospel, and Mark's Gospel, they're written in accounts, historical accounts, by taking interviews of people that walked with Jesus. They were not disciples. But Matthew and John were. And these words of the disciples, Peter was a disciple and wrote books about testifying of the deity of Christ. John's book is all about the deity of Christ that you may know him and make him known. That Jesus is God in flesh and that that flesh came and he dwelt among us and he, he tabernacled, the Bible says, among us veiling his glory that he walked around us. The disciples have opened our eyes to this gospel. It's through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, that you sit here tonight as a believer in Jesus Christ. So therefore, Jesus was praying for you because he prayed for every person that would believe through their words. Through their words. He was praying for you. He was praying for me. That means we're special. I like being special because I'm the sinner. Oops, sorry. Um, we all like being special, right? We all like being special. 
Jesus prayed for unity for us. He prayed for unity for us. It's important that we learn to stand together. I love that as we've gone through this sabbatical season, our, our worship leaders have come from a variety of different churches. Recovery Church through the avenue. We've got Florida Gardens here. Proclaim Church has shared their worship with us. Uh, Family Church has shared their worship with us. We have been so blessed by unifying as a body of believers to worship the Lord together. To worship the Lord together. It's not just about Redemption Church in Delray Beach. It's about the body of Christ together. It's about those that believe that Jesus came in the flesh, what the gospels are teaching us. It's about us that believe, that are unified together in Christ. This is who he was praying for. Let them be unified together. Guys, and this is so important, especially today. Our world's a mess. It's a mess. Isaiah 5.20 reminded me of the things going on in our world. It's just changing so quickly. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. If you've lived long enough, you know that a lot of the stuff that's going on today that's called good has been considered evil forever until just now. And the Bible says, woe to those. Guys, things are changing rapidly. If the church of Christ doesn't stand together, we won't make it. He called us to stand together. I know we'll make it because Jesus is on our side. I don't want you to take that wrong. He called us to hold each other's arms up. Whether you're from this church, a different church. That's why every week when we come together and we celebrate communion together, I invite everybody who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just those that call redemption their home, but anybody that believes on the Lord Jesus Christ because we are family. Right? I got all my sisters and me. I can't help it. We are family. Okay, um, <clears throat> a prayer for unity, verse 21. From the Psalms to the Epistles, there are tons of verses about believers living together in unity. I always remember hearing about this as a young man in the church and as a pastor, as the pastor referring to a herd of wild animals. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this illustration before or not. Because the book of Peter says that the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may destroy. The body of Christ is like that herd of animals that as long as they're together, while they may be weaker individually than the roaring lion, together the lion's afraid of them. The one he attacks is the one that drifts away, the one that's gotten weak, the one that maybe is injured, the one that's not fellowshipping, that's not listening to the Word of God, that's not reading the Word of God, that's not praying, 
that's not in some type of accountability around people that can hold their arms up when they're going through a tough time. Those are the ones that the devil wants to get. But when we are joined together in unity, and Christ knew this, oh, the devil has no place. When we join our hearts together and we worship together, one of the things I love about Redemption Church is we're constantly worshiping with other people. When we do our 21 days of prayer and fasting every month, there's five or six different churches joined together, and we meet together every night pre-COVID. There was a prayer meeting every night that you could go to and sit and pray with believers from other churches, and it was beautiful. We don't all believe exactly the same. We don't. Some of them come in long skirts because that's just part of their church culture. It's not part of ours, but that doesn't make us any different. That's not a doctrine worth dividing over by any stretch of the imagination. We believe in Jesus, who he is, who he said he was, who the disciples said that he was. That is what unifies us. That's what's important. We need to be unified. Christ prayed it. We need to live it. We need to live it. So somebody decides to go to a different church, right? Encourage them, love them, have breakfast with them, meet with them, pray with them. If you're discipling, continue to disciple. It doesn't matter. As long as they're in a church that's teaching the Word of God and they believe that Christ is who He says that He is. Now, if they're in a cult, try to get them out. Because there are a few cults that use the name of Jesus. And we have to be careful. That's why you need to be founded and grounded in the word of Christ. That you don't get confused. That we can find that unity. And in verse 26, I'm going to end with this. Verse 26. It says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus says, I'm going to continue to make this love known. I'm going to continue to make it known. And he is, even now. He's making his love known through you. He's making his love known through his word through the writings of those that followed him, that came after him, the Apostle Paul. He's making his love known through your testimony, through your life. Are you showing his love? And he's reaching out to those that don't know him. The Bible says that, that the word of God is like foolishness to those that don't know him. You ever talk to someone about things and they're like, well, that's stupid. That's not true. That stuff couldn't be true. But it says that the Holy Spirit awakens us to the truths of the gospel. You ever ministered to someone for a long time and they were just so stubborn and thick-headed and then all of a sudden it was like a light went off and they got it? Or maybe you weren't there for the light go off moment. Maybe you heard about it later. 
It's because the ministry of love that Christ began, he continues to make that love known. He says, I made known to them your name, Father, and I will continue to make it known because he loves you. So are you weary? Are you heavy laden? As the scripture says, come to the Father. Come to the Father. Know Jesus today that you may have eternal life. I believe that pretty much every single one of you sitting in here tonight knows him. And that's awesome. We are one in him. One in him. And that's an incredible thing. He prayed for us over 2,000 years ago. And the beautiful thing is the Bible says that he sits at the right hand of the Father and he consistently, continually intercedes for you and I. We, he looks at us and he sees us as holy, as righteous, as pure. And I know when he looks at me and he sees me as holy and righteous and pure, that it is through some miracle of his grace and his blood covering all the mess that I am. I love the Lord deeply, but there's just a lot of messy stuff in us. There's a lot of messy stuff in us. And I know his grace and his mercy and his blood covers me and he sees me as pure and holy. And I am so blessed to be a part of this family and the amazing work that God has done in me because he has continued to make this known, this incredible love that he has for us. Let's pray together and prepare our hearts for communion. Lord Jesus, thank you. Lord, thank you that um, you love us so deeply, Lord. Thank you that you prayed for us over 2,000 years ago. Lord, and that you have continued to make yourself known to us that we may know you, Lord. Lord, we just ask you now, Lord, as we just remember the sacrifice that you made for us, Lord, that you would bless our time, Lord, that as we sit and reflect on you, on your cross, on our lives, Lord, that we may be filled up with your grace and your mercy Lord, that you would forgive our trespasses as, as, as the prayer says. And Lord, that you would lead us, that you would guide us into your perfect will. So Lord, we thank you, Lord, and we praise you in your name. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.